turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 34. We're going to be looking at this morning, Mark chapter 1, 21 to 34. 34. And if you need a Bible, as always, um, follow Ian. Um, He's going to go and get one if you need one. (laughs) We have one for you. Go and grab it because we are a church that believes, um, like Blake said, in God's word, and we go to God's word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so, all right, <clears throat> Mark twenty-one thirty-four. here we go. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered um, the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Welcome to church, everyone. Today, we're going to be looking at demons and healings and all of that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we approach this time where we reflect together on your word. And we are confident that as we spend this time dedicated to your word, you will speak to us. You will speak to us and remind us of who you are and how powerful you are to deliver us from the many burdens we carry throughout our lives. Thank you for this time. May your spirit do a work that I can never do with this sermon. And may Jesus be exalted in our midst. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. A philosopher once said that the measure of a man is what he does with power. About a year ago, several men alleged that they had been sexually harassed and assaulted by Hollywood actor Kevin Spacey. These claims came days after Harvey Weinstein, a former film producer, was exposed as a sexual predator. For years, their abusive tendencies and actions were overlooked by the unspoken assumption that in some situations, powerful men can set their own 
rules. Following these scandals, you guys have been aware of it, most of our headlines these days often relate to the abuse of power. And we also see those brave enough to speak against it. Abuse of power doesn't just take place in Hollywood or at the top of the corporate ladder. Doesn't. Abuse of power happens everywhere. In homes, religious institutions, and the workplace. These realities and scandals are why the word power can make us all uncomfortable. Power can be misused. And when it's been misused, it brings about pain, oppression, and corruption. Power makes us uneasy because it's, a, it's open to abuse. But there are also many examples where power has been used for good. Unlike Weinstein, Spacey, and others like them, many well-known and influential personalities choose to use their influence for real-world good. They use the power and knowledge and skill and expertise and experience they have for the good of others. But the truth is, celebrities and high-ranking officers in a company are not the only ones with power. We know that. All of us have power over something or someone. We all have an influencing effect on the people around us. Sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individuals will influence up to 10,000 people during his or her life. And so introverts, be encouraged. <laughs> and as I look back on my life, and as you look back on yours, you and I have been influenced by so many people, our parents, teachers, friends, and family. Just as we have been influenced by others, what we do and what we'll say will have influence on others for good or for bad. The question is not whether we have power or influence or not. The most important question is how are we using it? And how we use it speaks a lot about who we are. If this is true, what does it tell us about Jesus? And so this biography of Jesus by Mark that we've been walking through um, wants to reveal to us who Jesus is by what he says and what he does. And today, we're going to discover that Jesus not only has power and authority, but he uses his power to serve others and ultimately to accomplish the purposes of God. Last time, last time, two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus called his first disciples. Simon, Andrew, James, and John were their names. They were fishermen, and what did they decide to do? They decided to leave everything, their families, their careers, and everything to apprentice Jesus. And verse 21, we just read, lets us know about the very first thing they do when they step into public ministry. It says they went into Capernaum. Capernaum was a small town northwest of the Sea of Galilee. It was probably the most upscale okay, and classy town in the region at the time. Jesus grew up a few miles 
southwest of Capernaum in a town called Nazareth. We all know that. Capernaum eventually became Jesus' headquarters for his few short years in ministry. When Jesus and his newly recruited disciples arrive in town, verse 21 says to us that they immediately, on the Sabbath, entered the synagogue and Jesus began to teach. The Sabbath was the seventh day of the Jewish week, which began at sundown on Friday and ended on sundown on Saturday. The Sabbath is the Jewish day for rest and worship. And so Sabbath enthusiasts, they don't do much. They don't do any chores and they don't run any errands. If you meet a Jew to this day, they still practice the Sabbath. And Eleanor and I knew some um, um, Jew, Jews in San Diego, and we got to know them. And um, one day we got to hang out with them on a Sabbath, and we realized that they don't drive on the Sabbath, right? They don't drive, and even the food they cooked, they cooked it the night before, right? And all they did was heat it up. And so they're very much all about dedicating the Sabbath day to the things of God. And back then, the entire day was um, dedicated to the things of God and attending a service at the local synagogue was a key part of the Sabbath. In the time of Jesus, the synagogue was a Jewish place of worship. Synagogues were used as social as well as religious centers. During weekdays, hang with me, I know this is all information, we're going somewhere. During weekdays, it was used as a center for education. And during the Sabbath, it was used for religious activities. And this is similar to most churches, right? Most churches have big buildings, and during the week, you might have a preschool or some sort of school going on in there. And during the weekends, they use it for worship. There were four elements to the service. Prayer, followed by readings from the Hebrew Scriptures, followed by a sermon or a teaching, and then the service would end with a benediction. Although these structures existed, the services were very casual and informal. Okay? They were less like our traditional church services and more like an open mic night. I'm going somewhere. And the reason that was, was the synagogues functioned very casually and informally. And because of this, if a visiting rabbi or a scribe was in town, they would be given opportunity during the service to come and share something. And so, it's not surprising that Jesus would go to the synagogue and be invited to say something, especially since he's beginning to gain popularity as a teacher. So, as the locals of the town of Capernaum make their way into the Sabbath on this particular Sabbath day, nothing could have prepared them for what they were about to experience. Jesus, a teacher who is beginning to cause quite a stir in the region, is invited to come and share a message during the service. And so what he does is he makes his way to the podium, he gathers his thoughts, and begins to teach. We're not told what he said, but what we do know is that whatever he said captured the hearts and minds of 
every person in the synagogue. All eyes were fixated on him. All ears were attentive to every one of his words. We know this to be true because verse 22 tells us that the audience were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so the word astonished here is in this verse literally means to strike with panic or shock. It means that whatever Jesus said struck them with a blow. One commentator said that they were thunderstruck by whatever Jesus said. They had never heard anyone teach like this. Jesus displayed authority on a whole new level. He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Why is this? Because they were hearing the word of God from the lips of the Son of God. Jesus spoke with a compelling authority because he was the source of all authority. But Jesus didn't just teach with authority. And the next thing that happens gives him an opportunity to display his power in the most unexpected way. So Jesus is teaching. Audience are on the edge of their seats, captivated, astonished, stunned by what they're hearing and seeing. Then something happens that interrupts the entire service. A member of the audience, described in verse 21 as a man with an unclean spirit, stands up, looks at Jesus, then shouts, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He had a British accent. I know... (laughs) I couldn't help it. I know you are the Holy One of God. The term unclean spirit is another term for a demon. So, there's a man in the synagogue, the place of religious worship, who is under the influence of of demonic forces. And his actions do not only interrupt Jesus' sermon, but his words unveil Jesus' identity. He refers to Jesus as the Holy One of God. Imagine that. He knows more about who Jesus is than I think even at this time Jesus' disciples. So, Jesus is teaching, audience is awestruck, and like a heckler, a demon-possessed man interrupts the service with an aggressive verbal attack. What happens next? How does Jesus respond? Well, he refuses to tolerate this screaming, protesting man. Look at verse 25. It says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. These words in Mark is kind of a polite version of what Jesus said. A more accurate translation of what Jesus really said was, Hey, you, shut up. I do not want you here anymore. Come out of him now. Jesus spoke without any negotiation, any, hey, can you like calm down? No, no, Jesus went in and he with authority 
told the demon to come out. Back then, in Jesus' time, demonization was common. And most of the time, exorcists used potions, magic wands, or occult arts to cast out evil spirits from a person. Other times, if they encountered an extreme form of demonic activity, they would do all sorts of crazy stuff to cast out evil spirits, like they would hope, <laughs> this is crazy, this is real facts, okay? They would hold up feces to the victim's nose, okay? Or they would pour water all over the victim with the hopes of washing the demon away, but the most bizarre ritual for ridding someone of demons would involve drilling a hole in the victim's skull to let the demon out. All of these methods were what exorcists back then used to cast out demons. Not Jesus. He didn't use any of these methods. He didn't wave a wand like Harry Potter or sprinkle potions or drill holes in scales, nothing like that. What did Jesus do? He just spoke. And verse 20 tells us that when Jesus spoke, the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Jesus commanded and the demon obeyed. In doing this, Jesus is displaying his commanding authority over the demonic world. In our day and age, instances of demonic activity are extremely rare. You hardly hear in our culture, in our context, about demonic activities. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone, okay, about demons? When was the last time you heard a conversation? When was the last time the news broadcast, uh, you know, a headline about when was the last time our, our culture currently, it's rare for us, to discuss the activity in the demonic world. The only time, most of the time, we're exposed to demons is when we're binging on certain Netflix shows or when celebrating Halloween. David Garland, said theologian, says this, and this is really helpful. Modern scientific attitudes heavily influence us, and since demons do not show up on scientific radar screens, many dismiss such cases as some misdiagnosis that is now made obsolete by modern medical advances. It would make many comfortable if Mark, who's writing this, had named the illness of these sufferers, if he told us, for example, that the man in the synagogue suffered from Tourette syndrome or had a bad reaction to drugs, it would not give us pause because all these terms are part of our worldview. So what he's basically saying is that because of advanced technology and medication and that most, or, or, or most of the time or some of the time, Demonic activities might be happening, 
but we tend to um, associate it with some sort of medical issue or um, psychological condition or something like that. And sometimes that is true. But in our modern world, we kind of go there really quickly. Even though there are few references to the demonic world in our modern world, although most of our exposure to demons are fictional in nature, what we have to be careful as of believers is if this word, if God's word is true, if the Bible um, communicates to us the realities of the world we're living in, we must resist the temptation okay, to, to as always just associate possible demonic activity to some psychological condition or an illness or something. The demonic world is real. It's not just a, a make-believe fictional thing, you know, um, Hollywood has made up. There are real people living in San Diego who are under the influence of dark and demonic powers. It's subtle, but that's the reality. And what's interesting is the reason why when we read the Bible, we are seeing Jesus encounter demonic activity over and over again. It, it just makes sense because Jesus turns up and all hell breaks loose. And so as we study the life of Jesus, we'll see many instances where he confronted the demonic world. And in the synagogue, in Capernaum, is the first of his many encounters with the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is interrupted by a man who is under the influence of demonic spirits as he taught with authority in the synagogue. Not only that, as I've said, this guy is very aware of who Jesus is. And so how this may apply to us is this. Just because we are in church does not mean all is well with us. My guess is that there are some people here including myself, carrying burdens that have roots in the demonic world. You may not, or may, okay, you may not be possessed by demons per se, but you're tormented by anxiety, addictions, abuse, guilt, shame, all of these things. This week, I've been dealing with major anxiety, by the way. And all of these vices and things originate from the dark and demonic world, which the Bible also refers to as the kingdom of darkness. And they are tormenting our souls. And so whatever it may be, this is the comfort and strength we have. Jesus can deliver or heal us today. 
Unlike the magicians of Jesus' day, he does not cast spells or mix potions or turn to bizarre methods for deliverance. Jesus speaks with authority and the demons behave. This is a message our church and every church absolutely needs to hear over and over again. Satan's authority is no match for the awesome power and authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus has the authority and power over all demonic forces, and he will always choose to use his authority and power for your good and his glory. Jesus on the cross defeated sin, Satan, and death. And so what this means is that when Jesus shows up in our lives, he has the power and authority to rid us of all things in our lives that originate from demonic forces. He does. And these stories are not just for us to just say, oh, these stories are cool. These stories are communicating the realities of the world and the city we live in. Yes, it's in the first century and it's many thousands of years ago, but it's communicating the realities of what we're living in and it's also communicating the authority of Jesus over anything that has roots in the kingdom of darkness. Back to the story. So people are flat out blown away by Jesus' authority teaching and his power to drive out a demon with just words. And because of this, verses 27 and 28 says, And they were all amazed so that they, they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The audience in the synagogue had just witnessed something otherworldly. And as they're trying to make sense of what just happened, what does Jesus do? Jesus leaves the synagogue and heads to the home of Simon and Andrew. And uh, as he settles, possibly to rest from a long and exhausting day of ministry, verse 30, he says to us that Simon's, look at verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. All right, keep in mind, that uh, fever in Jesus' day was a life-threatening illness. As soon as Jesus finds out, he makes his way to the room where she lay. He takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and as soon as he does that, what does it say? It tells us that the, deep, the fever leaves her and she begins to serve them. As a result of everything that has gone in the synagogue, what's happening? Jesus' display of authority over the demonic increased his popularity. It absolutely did. I was just like reading this and I couldn't help this. I was like, if Jesus had an Instagram account, oh my gosh, his followers, like so many more followers. Time Magazine, Jimmy Kimmel, all of those guys will be calling saying, who are you? Who are you? And he'll be doing, he became an overnight sensation. And so verse 32 says that that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. In 2013, Justin Bieber was in Brazil to perform concert dates in the country. The hotel 
He was staying at somehow got lit, and within an hour, what happened? Hundreds and thousands, right, of believers. Is that what they call them? Believers, right? Believers gathered on the hotel grounds, hoping to catch a glimpse of the idol. So we live in a very celebrity-obsessed culture, and it's common for crowds to form where celebrities are sighted, right? They go to a restaurant, you know? People see, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and crowds, they go to the restaurant. It's like horrible being like a celebrity. It's horrible. Ah, Everyone just following in a similar way. This is what's happening right here, okay? All that Jesus has done and has been teaching has spread like wildfire. And so news got out that he was at the home of Simon and Andrew. And then what happened? The whole city, that's about 1,500 in population. That's like 1,500 outside the home, okay, <laughs> of um, Andrew and James. And they gathered outside of their home, hoping to see Jesus and experience him heal and deliver um, um, them or their loved ones. Notice that it's evening. It says that this is the evening, okay? And so Jesus must have been so tired by now. All that has been going on. But instead of rejecting the needs of the people, verse 31 says that he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus spent time ministering to these people into the late hours of the evening. He was healing many and he was casting out demons in a great display of his power and authority, ladies and gentlemen. So, if you're like me, it's easy to read these stories about Jesus' authoritative teaching, his power over demons, and his ability to heal, and think that these are just random stories put together with no connection or theme. Just like awesome stories. These are really cool. For most people, okay, view these incidents in the life of Jesus as Acts of kindness that show us that Jesus was this loving and caring man who was on mission to use his power and his authority for the welfare of others. Like Jesus is just this nice. And yes, Jesus is a lovely man. He is compassionate. And he did use his power and his authority to bring about the flourishing and welfare of other people. Absolutely. But this is not the main reason Mark includes these stories in his biography about Jesus. It's not the main reason. John Mark Homer, who is a pastor in Portland, says that the main point of Jesus' miracle and acts of kindness, listen to this, the main point of all of these is mainly as signs of Jesus' kingdom breaking into the world. In other words, these stories in the Gospel of Mark are a way of saying, this is what it looks like when God is in charge. This is what it looks like when Jesus has ultimate authority. It's a glimpse of the life to come, but it's also a glimpse of what life is like under the governing authority of Jesus the King. All these miracles are a sneak peek 
into the kingdom of God where we're constantly in awe of Jesus' authority to heal and deliver. And the more we see Jesus in action, the more his identity is made known to us. The more we witness Jesus' power and authority, the more who he is becomes evident to us. Question, have you ever completely missed who someone is until it's too late? When I used to work at a church in LA, Los Angeles, everyone, Hollywood, after the service, we as pastors would stand um, by the stage and wait for anyone who would want prayer or would want to talk about spiritual things. One particular Sunday, I'm standing there and I'm just waiting and no one's coming. And then this kind of, you know, older man um, kind of walks up to me and says, hey, Obed, hey, how you doing? That was really good announcements because I used to do announcements all the time at the church and really enjoy you doing announcements. And I'm looking at the guy and I'm trying to figure out he looks really familiar really familiar to me and I'm just like do I know you from somewhere have I do we did we go seminary to get like what what is it and he's like no um maybe and he's just super playing along with me and I'm just like who is this guy and then I'm like you look really famous really famous and so he turns around and goes hey my name's Steve Steve Baldwin and I'm like oh my gosh Steve <laughs> and you know for all those who you know you know he's a christian and he loves jesus and his daughter is marrying justin bieber actually like if you're like into all the news and gossip and everything it's crazy but like he's a solid christian loves jesus and it was just amazing that i just didn't know who he was until he revealed it to me but it wasn't too late it's not as if he left and i figured it out rico tice who's a pastor of a church in England, um, had this experience. He got invited to a lunch, and as he waited outside the room, he found himself opposite a young man who looked vaguely familiar. For five minutes, neither said a word, although the young man looked as if he expected Rico to speak to him. But Rico didn't know who he was, so said nothing. It was only as the young man left that Rico discovered his identity. And it was Prince William himself. It's crazy. The future king of England. Yes. Rico stood opposite Prince William for five minutes and didn't say a word. Because he didn't recognize him. He just saw a young man. He didn't see the future king. So he didn't take the opportunity to speak to him. If we get someone's identity wrong, we'll relate to them in the wrong way. Mark, who's the author of this gospel we've been studying has given us an example, examples of uh, evidence that point to the real identity 
of Jesus. We've seen his power and authority to teach. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen that Jesus acts in God's world with God's authority. So who is Jesus? Mark is showing us that Jesus is God's son with the same power and authority as God and that he is God's only chosen king. And if this is who Jesus is, the question for you is, how have you been relating to Jesus? Jesus still speaks with authority today, not in person, but through his word and his spirit. Jesus is still in the business of delivering people from the kingdom of darkness. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you have experienced the incredible authoritative power of Jesus to deliver through saving you. You had no interest in Jesus. You were either religious or rebellious. No interest in Jesus at all. But through his life, his perfect life, through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, you were saved and you, through Jesus, who is like the bridge, entered into a relationship with God. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're like, hey, I don't know what this Christianity, I don't know Jesus. How have you been relating to him? The truth is Jesus is the king of all hearts. He has authority over all things. And you're here today, not by accident, but he has orchestrated everything in your life to get you to this point where he wants you to acknowledge who he truly is. He is the king of kings. He is the only one that can bring true and lasting satisfaction in your life. No relationship, no career, nothing can ever provide you with peace and love and care. Jesus is the greatest need of every single human being on this planet. And through these stories, they reveal to us his authority and his identity. And so again, the question is, moving forward, how will you relate to Jesus? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us see who Jesus is his power, his authority over the forces of evil that we encounter in this world. And so 
May we be continually enamored with Jesus because it's only through Jesus, it's only through Jesus that we have an eternal relationship with you. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. And may we make much of Jesus in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to enter into a time we call reflection. Maybe you are here and you need a miracle from God. Eleanor and I need a miracle from God. This week, as I've wrestled with anxiety, I've needed a miracle. thought to myself there's just no way I can feel better Uh, just been struggling and so you might hear and you need a miracle you need Jesus because what you are currently experiencing what you are currently going through or what someone in your life is going through there is nothing they can do to release themselves from it. Um, there's just no way for your marriage to be restored. Um, there's just no way for you to become financially stable. There's just no way for you to break free from addictions. There's no way for you to fill in the blank. You are in desperate need of God's power and authority in your life and in this world. And so right now, as you reflect on everything we've studied, pray and ask Jesus to deliver you. We saw in the story after a day of ministry, it was evening, thousands of people came. What did he do? Did he reject them? No. He opened his arms and he began to heal and minister to those people. And so Jesus always has time. And Jesus not only has time, but he is powerful and able. And he has power and authority to deliver us. And so what miracle do you need today? Pray. Ask him. Because he invites us to. May your time during reflection as you exalt Jesus may it bring about hope and deliverance in your life Amen